Amen. We're thankful to be in the house of God tonight. Thankful for the song service. Uh, I'm thankful for those who selected the songs. There's a great... um, It's an important task to think about the songs and to pray about the songs and to sing songs that exalt our Savior and turn our eyes and hearts to Him. Um, And I just appreciate that tonight. Um, I feel like I've been in a monsoon of the blessings of God. He has showered them upon my life. um, And I am just eternally grateful for all that He has done uh, for me. Um, I enjoyed so much this day, uh, the services we had at 10 with the school. I told Brother Brad, and I mean it wholeheartedly, that I get more nervous in front of a crowd of kids like that than anyone else that I preach to. Um, Not sure why that is, uh, but my heart just yearns for them to see Jesus and to know Him and love Him. And uh, you always want to take those opportunities and be used of the Lord in, in whatever way He would. And so pray that God would bless the word that was spoken. And um, they listened so attentively. Uh, it just blessed my heart. Just every eye and every ear was focused on the word of God. Um, while I can't see into hearts, it sure seemed like God was working and speaking and dealing with people. And um, I'm so grateful for that. And so pray for those young people and uh, Lord willing, if time goes on, we'll be able to meet with them again uh, this week. And so just just excited about that and thankful for the opportunity. And uh, would appreciate your prayers tonight as we try to <clears throat> preach God's Word. Um, struggled mightily uh, coming to a message tonight. Uh, so much to say, and yet you want to say that which God desires to be said. And so... So much, at least my experience in the ministry, is, is praying that God would direct your heart and give you the things to say, because we want to hear from Him tonight. Uh, he has fixed my heart on a few thoughts tonight, and we're going to try to share those. And so just pray that God would have His way tonight uh, with us. Um, we're going to begin reading in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Um, For me, if you asked me uh, to pick out my favorite gospel passages, um, this would be one of those passages uh, in Romans chapter 3. I have a few of them, talked about a few of them last night as well. Um, But there's a clarity um, in Romans 3 about the gospel and what Christ has done for us and who we are in His sight and our need, and it makes it very clear and We're going to spend most of our attention on it uh, tonight. I want to talk about righteousness tonight. Righteousness. Um, I don't know if we have any golf fans in here. Don't always get a whole bunch. Uh, But uh, I like golf. It's one of the things I uh, enjoy as a hobby. I don't do it well. and yet I still find myself out there frustrating myself and yet enjoying the process of the frustration for some reason. I also watch it, which drives my family insane. Um, my kids make fun of it. Uh, they cannot believe that I could possibly sit for any amount of time and watch golf. Um, and yet I do enjoy it. Um, those of you that may or may not have heard of golf, you've probably heard of the most famous golf tournament that there is. Uh, it is the Masters at Augusta National. 
Um, it's a big golf tournament uh, where the best players in the world gather to try to win a green jacket. That's the award, the prize. Obviously, there's some money involved and some other things, but the, the coveted uh, award is a green jacket. And if you want to get into, say, the dining hall at the golf club at Augusta National, uh, you have to have a green jacket. It's a requirement for you to have this jacket to be able to enter in. Well, there's only a couple ways you can get one of those jackets, Uh, and I'm not going to be getting one anytime soon. Let's just put it like that. Uh, One of them is you have to be one of the most elite golfers in the world, and you have to be the best golfer in the world for those four days um, at that right time of year. And so there's a handful of men that have played right at the right time and have received a jacket for being an elite uh, athlete and an elite skills in the, the area of golf. The other way would be uh, to have prestige and power, Uh, not just money. There's a lot of people with a lot of money that can't get a green jacket or a membership there at that club. But if you're the right kind of people with the right kind of connections, you can possibly become a member uh, at that club. But, again, to get in, there's a requirement. Um, I say this little analogy because heaven has a requirement as well. Um, And I want to talk a little bit about that requirement, which is righteousness. Righteousness is a requirement to go to heaven, and we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Uh, Keep that analogy in mind. We'll reference it again and and try to put some purpose behind it. But we want to go ahead and read our passage tonight and and just pray that God would have his way. Romans chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 10. Um, This first portion of this passage, uh, quoting... um, The Old Testament is a hard one to hear, but a reality of the human condition. And so listen, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, they are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher, with their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him that believeth 
in Jesus. We're going to stop our reading there and uh, would like to just have a moment of prayer if you'd bow with me. Heavenly Father, Lord and King, I thank you, God, for this great privilege to be gathered in your house tonight. I'm thankful for the opportunity we have to try in our humble way to share the gospel truths with those that have gathered here tonight. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us, that you'd prepare our hearts, that you'd prepare our minds, that you'd give us ears to hear what it is that you would have to say to us tonight. We pray especially this evening for those that are unsaved, that don't have a time and place in their life where they've known the forgiveness of sin, your marvelous grace in their souls. We pray, Lord, tonight would be that night. Lord, there's nothing more we desire than to be able to rejoice in the salvation of a soul. And we know, God, that salvation is your work. And like Jehoshaphat prayed, Lord, we have no uh, power against this company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. You said, God, that the battle was not theirs, but yours, (laughs) to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And so, God, help us to find our place in this service and to give our whole heart to your praise and worship and serving you and being obedient to your spirit. And help us, Lord, as we look to your word to understand it, to apply it, Lord, and just speak to our hearts. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Righteousness, uh, the requirement of all for heaven. Um, The book of Revelation, uh, just a a couple passages I want to read to you quickly. You don't have to turn there because it will just be brief. But in Revelation 21, the first part of verse 27 says, Speaking of heaven, there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie. And so John the Revelator, with his vision of heaven, it is revealed to his heart by the Spirit of God that nothing that defileth will enter into heaven. Nothing that lies, nothing that is sinful, will enter into heaven, to the dwelling place of God. Peter said it is a place where righteousness dwells. Excuse me, righteousness dwells. And so we get this picture of heaven, uh, at least in some part, we know that there is no sin there. There is no wickedness, no perverseness, no evil. We can't fathom it fully with our own minds because sin is all we've ever known. We struggle it in our own bodies, in our own flesh. We see the results of it all around us in this world. And so to think about a place where there is no sin, there is absolutely none of it, is, is beyond what we can understand. And yet, our hearts will long for that as we watch our news and we see the results of sin all around us and the effect that it has on our our society and our families and ourselves. And we see the brokenness of our world and all that it is. And we see that that is a result of sin. We say, man, I long for a place where there is no sin. But there's a problem because... Sin will not enter into that place. Nothing that defiles will. It is a place where righteousness dwells. And so as you go to Augusta National and you want to enter into the dining hall and be a part of the club, they're going to check if you got one of those green jackets at the door to see if you can enter in. One day we will stand at the gates of heaven and it will be righteousness that is the requirement for us to enter into heaven. 
sin will not enter into that place. It will not enter in. And we, like the psalmist, must think. He said in Psalm 130, in the third verse, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? If the Lord would mark our iniquities, if He would count our sins against us, the psalmist says, who shall stand? Clearly, that is a rhetorical question. We know the answer to it. None should stand, right? If the Lord will mark our iniquities, if He will count them to our charge, none of us could stand before the Lord. And so that presents a problem to us. And the Bible wants to make that problem very clear to us because we must understand our need before we will go to the solution. And so the Bible makes it very clear that heaven will not have sin. Sin will not enter in there. That God is holy and separate from sin and cannot look upon it. And if we are ever going to be in the presence of God, if we are ever going to be able to go to heaven when we die... Something's going to have to change because we are sinners. And if the Lord marks our iniquities, not one of us will stand. That is a problem. And Paul made it very clear in Romans 3 that we're all sinners, right? Didn't beat around the bush. (laughs) As he quotes again from the Old Testament, the wording is very clear. It's hard to hear. But if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with the, the, the effects of, 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 human, of the human heart, the standing of the human heart, this is a just, uh, a just description of what it is. He starts simply by saying, there is none righteous, no, not one. So, I mean, if, if you're an honest listener tonight, if you're considering the reality that the Bible teaches us that only righteousness dwells in heaven and that it is the requirement for us to enter into heaven. And the Bible says that our iniquities, if God would mark our iniquities, who can stand? There's none righteous, no, not one. There's clearly a problem. He goes down to describe the sinful nature of man and the human condition before us. And it is one of darkness. It is one Uh, That is painful to listen to, but it is, again, accurate. As he gets down to verse 19, he gives a summary statement. He says, Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them that are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. And so, by the verdict of heaven... By God's analysis and His description of who we are, there is none that is righteous, no, not one. And if God should mark our iniquities, not one of us would be able to stand in His presence. So righteousness is required to be made right with God and to be with Him in heaven for all of eternity. It is required. In our text in verse 20, he says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the bad news actually keeps coming. There is some good news, and we're going to get to that. But the bad news needs to be understood first. And so he says, there's none righteous, no, not one. That every mouth should be stopped before God. That we are guilty before his presence. And then he says... 
that by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. So the language may be hard for some of us, but the reality is, is we cannot make ourselves righteous. We cannot make ourselves right with God by doing the right things, by trying to do religious things or trying to please God or doing our best attempts to be made right with him will fall short of the glory of God. And much of world religion teaches that very false reality, that very false gospel, that by simply doing religious things and by trying to do your best, that you can be made right with God. And how many people have you heard say that they hope one day they'll stand before God and their good will outweigh their bad. But the judgment of heaven is that there is none righteous, no, not one. That we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And before the Lord, we are all guilty. By the works of the flesh, by the works of the law, no man shall be made righteous in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. You see, the law, the commandments of the Lord, the law of the Lord, was never meant as a ladder to get to God. And sometimes it's taught like that, like by climbing the law and doing those things, we can get to his presence. But the law is a mirror to reveal the heart of mankind. And so as we look into the perfect law of God and we realize that we do not meet the mark and we fall far short of the glory of God and his holy perfection, the law reveals our own hearts and our sinfulness before God. And so if this righteousness is a requirement to be right with God and to go to heaven, and if we are not righteous, no, not one, our mouths are stopped, we're guilty before God, and there's nothing we can do in our own flesh, in our own attempts to make ourselves righteous with God. We are unfit for heaven, and we are unable to make the situation right. Then we get to verse 21, which is probably... Again, one of my favorite gospel, mess, gospel verses that there are. If you feel the need to seek the Lord tonight, you seek the Lord tonight. Lost friend, God is good. Verse 21, those two words that Paul uses so often and that are just such a joy when you come to them. Paul so often contrasts two different things and uh, the previous life to after knowing Christ. And uh, he uses these words so often to bridge the gap between what we were prior to knowing the love and mercy of God and afterwards. And so he gives that description of just how sinful man is and that we're guilty before him and that there's nothing that we can do. And then he gets to verse 21 and he says, but now, hold on, right? But now the righteousness of God Without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. And so Paul says, listen, there's a righteousness that is outside of the law. Okay, so you're right. You are not righteous and you cannot become righteousness by trying to do the right things and being religious and all of these things. But listen, there is a righteousness that can be had, that can be bestowed upon us, that is outside of the law. And he says it is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. I think of what Brother Bradley said in his preliminary comments about the prophets that pointed their fingers, right? And said, listen, there's one that's coming, a light in the midst of darkness, a sacrificial lamb that can take away our sins. 
A child will be born. A son will be given. A government shall be upon his shoulders. He will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, the prince of peace. And they told about this one that would come, this light that would come and and bring people out of their oppression and release them from their bondage. And yet, as Bradley said, they didn't see the full revelation. They didn't see the full picture. They just pointed their fingers forward to the next prophet and he would point his forward. And then it came to John the Baptist, the last in the line of the prophets. And you remember as he was baptizing, preparing the way for the one that God had promised to come. And he's baptizing and they look up and he points his finger and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. (laughs) The law and the prophets, they witnessed to this, this, this righteousness that was outside of the law. This one that would need to be trusted in. That was not a righteousness of themselves, but a righteousness of God himself. It was witnessed by them, and yet it's fully revealed to us in the person of Christ. And those prophets, I get this this picture of them looking over the fence, just trying to see what it all would do. What is God going to do with all of these wonderful promises? And the angels hanging from the preface, uh, from the uh, the rafters of heaven, looking down, wondering what this glorious uh, uh, plan of redemption is and how it's going to pan out and all that's God doing in our lives. And the prophets looked forward and the angels hang down, trying to view this beautiful thing that God would do, this righteousness that was outside of the law. 22, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. (laughs) A righteousness of God. Let's keep reading. And he says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified or declared righteous freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. That's the basis of a righteousness, not a righteousness earned by us by the law, but a righteousness achieved by Christ, uh, by his perfect obedience to his father God in his life and in his obedient death on the cross in our place. He achieved a righteousness that we could not achieve, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So to be made right with God, to enter into heaven, there is a requirement of righteousness. And yet we could not achieve it by our own works. And Paul says it has been achieved by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He has achieved the righteousness that we could not achieve. And coming down from the glories of heaven and becoming a man. He kept the law of God perfectly. Never an evil deed, never an evil thought. He fulfilled the law of God to a T. He did what we could not do. And then he went to the cross. He became obedient even unto the death of the cross. And it says that he was the propitiation of our sins. That God made him the propitiation of our sins. That means he, he satisfied the just wrath of God. Against sin. And so, all of that ugly description of the nature of mankind that we read about just previously in this the lips that are quick to speak lies and the feet that are quick to shed blood, that we don't pursue God and that there's none that's righteous. 
Oh, the righteous one went to the cross of Calvary as our substitute. And he died in our place. And he was the perfect sinless savior. And yet the wrath of God against our sins, your sins, was poured out on Christ. And it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Why did it please him? He didn't have a morbid pleasure in the suffering of his son. But he was satisfied in the payment of Jesus Christ on our behalf. God was satisfied by it. Christ achieved a righteousness that we could not in his life and in his death. (laughs) This righteousness, again, that is required was unachievable by us and yet achieved by Christ. And it is revealed in the gospel. It is revealed to us in the gospel. In Romans 1, familiar verse to many of you, where Paul talking about the gospel um, you find my place. In verse 16 of chapter 1, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and to the Greek. Listen, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to all that believe. Why is it? Okay, he continues, he says, For therein, for therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. That faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so God sends his church into the world with a message to proclaim, to herald to all nations and all people and everyone that we come in contact with that there is a righteousness outside of the law that we cannot earn our way back to God, but Christ has done it on our behalf. He has, and it's revealed to us in the gospel. And so we stand behind this pulpit and we go out to our circles of influence with that glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we did not earn it, that we don't deserve it. And yet we have found forgiveness and pardon in our Savior Jesus, and they can too. It's revealed in the gospel what Christ has achieved On our behalf, witnessed by the law and the prophets and now fully revealed in the person of his son and the work on the cross. And it is the mission of the church. It is our mission to go to every nation and to share this glorious good news. Lastly, it is bestowed, required, achieved, revealed and bestowed. This righteousness is freely bestowed to who? Paul said, to all who believe. To all who believe. (laughs) This righteous requirement, right? Uh, Listen, the only way we're getting a green jacket is by becoming unreal athletes or having money or power or success like we can't even fathom. I'm not going to earn any of those things. Trust me, I will never have one of those jackets. Oh, but the garment that I wear today is far greater than anything man can earn or give me or any club that I could be a member of. I have the righteousness of Christ applied to my soul and it will enter. I will be entered into the glories of heaven because I'm adorned in that righteousness. He has freely bestowed it on me. He has freely bestowed it on me as a free gift of salvation by His grace onto us. And for those of us that have been saved by the grace of God, we rejoice in the bestowing of that wonderful righteousness that He bestows. 
I have one more verse and we'll close if we could get a song together. Back to the psalmist. Uh, He said, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? He went on in verse 4 to say, But there is forgiveness with thee. There is forgiveness with thee. And in Psalm 103, thinking about it from a perspective uh, on the other side, the psalmist says, listen, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. Listen, he hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us According to our iniquities. (laughs) If the Lord should mark our iniquities, who shall stand? None of us. But praise be unto God because of the righteousness of Christ. I, like the psalmist, can say, He hasn't dealt with me according to my sins. He hasn't marked my iniquities. They were accounted to Christ on the cross and His glorious righteousness has been accounted to me. He has not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is as high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. (laughs) Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. God was in Christ, reconciling the world. Unto himself, not counting their trespasses against them. I'm thankful to be able to stand in the power of the cross tonight. I'm thankful to be able to stand covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because if he marked my iniquities, I could not stand. But I stand tonight before you, an undeserving, saved, uh, saved by the grace of God, by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And if you're in your sins today and the weight of them are heavy upon your shoulders, I want you to know it is freely bestowed upon all who believe. And so call upon the name of the Lord. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust him tonight. And you can know the forgiveness. You can know the righteousness that is required for us to be made right with Him. Would you come? Let's have that song as we sing.